Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Circleville Rider, Agatha Christie, and Unsolved Mysteries 200th Solve. I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. This is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Though perhaps we may have to rename it Technical Difficulties, an Unsolved Mysteries <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Well, I, you know, just a little behind the scenes. So we already recorded this episode yesterday. And um, there was a computer explosion. Yeah. Which means we lost one of our tracks. This also happened to us uh, a couple weeks ago with a different uh, episode. But the problem then was that um, we didn't know that there was an audio problem until it was kind of too late. Yes. Um, so this, fortunately, we knew about it almost immediately when we, but it was when we were done recording. So we are doing this once again. Once again. And, uh, I thought. In order to maintain a authentic element of wonder and surprise, I would switch up the story. Ooh, okay. So I remember I had two things. You did to open with. This is the second thing. Uh, that uh, so a couple. Uh, I don't know what was it Friday or something. Finally, a nice evening in Los Angeles. We are famous for our. Uh, you know, mo- moderate weather, although it has been overcast and cold for what feels like pretty consistently seven months now. And <laughs> um, still, it has not been a nice uh, winter and spring in LA. Yeah, I mean, it's overcast again today. So finally, Friday night, the sun is out. I'm off of work. I'm having a cocktail in my, uh, you know, the yard is lovely, just really enjoying myself. And I, I look over um, in our hot tub, is we have a hot tub and a pool. I think I've mentioned that before, but I look over in the hot tub and uh, guess what I see sitting in the hot tub. Ooh. Oh boy. Uh, there's so many options. Uh, it's I'll narrow it down. It was an inanimate object. Okay. So it wasn't an animal. It was, an it was not an animal. In- and I'll, uh, it was animal related though, uh, but it was inanimate and it was not a dead animal. Did, did Beto put like a toy of his into the hot tub? No, no. I mean, I'll I'll save us some time here. So I look in the hot tub and I realize that there is an egg. Okay. A large egg in the hot tub. Okay. You know, which is surprising. Weird place for an egg to be. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, our the neighbors that live behind us keep hens. Okay. So my first thought was maybe a raccoon or squirrel got in the hen house, stole an egg, was washing it off, dropped it in the hot tub. Uh, <laughs> I was washing so, it off. Okay. Yeah. 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 Raccoons like to wash wash their hands and faces and food sometimes. And they've done it in our pool and hot tub before. So I was like, oh, maybe it's a raccoon. An admirable trait. Uh. Yeah. And uh, then... You know, I call Dave over because he's out in the yard, too. And I'm like, hey, Dave, uh, what do you think about this? And he's like, oh, that's real weird. And I'm like, yeah. And then he's like, well, hey, we had some ducks near the pool the other day. Mm. 
there was he was sending me pictures while i was at work of these it was a cute pair it was a mallard and his wife i assume okay i don't know their situation but whatever and uh he's like well yeah they were out here for some amount of time and i was like well what and he's like i think the i think the lady duck laid an egg in the hot tub I, I was like, see. What, what on earth? I mean, <laughs> ducks, like most other birds, lay eggs and nests right, yeah. on the ground, mm-hmm. not in the hot tub. And so I fished the egg out of the hot tub. It's very clearly not a chicken egg. Okay. It's like bigger. Yeah. The the um, duck eggs have a different quality mm-hmm. than chicken eggs. So it's, you know, it's a duck egg. For sure. And I was just like, this is wild. Because the stupid duck, I guess, was sitting on the edge of the hot tub and decided that was the place to lay the egg. Hmm. Yes, yes. So we had Yeah. Bizarre. Where So we had we we had a duck egg. Any any sign of these these ducks since then? Yeah, the mallard uh, was out in the pool again yesterday. I don't know where she was, but uh, as soon as he saw me, I went out there with some bread. So I was going to feed him because I'm just like, well, we have ducks now. <laughs> That's cute. Okay. That's cool. I'm, you know, it's been too cold for us to use the pool. I'm glad somebody's getting some <laughs> use out of it. Right. I'm, gl- I'm glad how you, you're always able to see the practical uh, side of any situation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I yeah I went out there and I was I had I was tearing up some bread for him, but I got a little too close and he got spooked and he took off. So, uh, and then uh, and then Beto ate the bread later. My dog <laughs> ate the bread. So, good boy. Good also, boy. a squirrel ate the bread. Oh, so, okay. yep. and I want to remind everybody, I live uh, in like L.A., a city that was built in the middle of a waterous desert. Yeah. I mean, just the amount. Of, I mean, I've had many wildlife stories over the years. What's going on in the backyard? You know, obviously, the peacock has been is an ongoing situation, and now there's ducks. The peacock is an ongoing. What? Oh well, I've told you about the peacock. I know I've talked about the peacock on this podcast. Uh, I, okay, yeah, I'm surely, surely you have, and. I I mean I mean you know did you not see the pe- I don't think you saw the peacock he usually comes around when it starts warming up so he he starts appearing around like April or May mm. and then he disappears around like September or October where did where does uh, I don't know where he went I don't, oh, you... I don't know where he winters but he summers in our neighborhood and about two or three nights out of the week he sleeps he nests in the tree I almost said sleeps as if that's what he was doing no he's just up there screaming all night. <laughs> Um, in the tree outside of my bedroom window but he's peacocks are the seventh loudest bird in the world in case you guys didn't know and this thing is like out two or three nights a week outside my bedroom going honk (laughs) (laughs) honk (laughs) honk and so the first year that the peacock appeared was like deep COVID and we were, we were kind of like coming out of lockdown or whatever, but like people were, we were kind of stuck in our neighborhood and the peacock became this very like unifying symbol for our neighborhood. People were like posting on the local Facebook group and next door about peacock sightings. Um, and he got, he has a couple of trees 
or yards he rotates through during the summer were just we happen to be one of them. Yeah. And it was really cute. It was like, oh, and then we would have people like pulling their cars over and taking pictures of our house and stuff. And we ever, you know, we would have like paparazzi outside of our house. And it was because the peacock was getting ready to like go to sleep for the night. And he would like circle the yard and then he jumps up on our roof and then he jumps up into this very large tree we have out front. And he does this. This is his routine. And it was really cute at first. But then after like three years, <laughs> you know, of this bullshit. I'm like, I'm trying oh, to sleep. Honk. Ah! Like 4.30 a.m. Great. Cool. Love it. I think it's fair to say everybody that, like, our, myself and my neighbor, who's, so he does, he comes out of the tree in the morning. Mm-hmm. He crosses our roof into my neighbor's yard and then stands on top of my neighbor's detached garage roof and does his, like, peacock show and yells. <laughs> So my neighbor, my neighbor and I are just like fucking done with this bird. <laughs> Holy shit! Like so over it, and now there's ducks. So well, I mean, it does sound like you've got quite the avian wildlife conservation <laughs> parking going on in your yard. Yeah, uh, yeah, very much unasked for. I'm okay with the ducks because the ducks are cute. They just go quack 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 quack. You know, they're very quiet peaceful yeah unobtrusive yeah there's definitely a night and day uh, situation between those uh yeah yeah they go to bed at night yeah do the ducks yeah but all the only noise they make is quack 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 quack. it's very quiet it's okay i uh when i worked for the bureau of land management and one summer uh our crew quarters there was some sort of bird and some sort of tree I was making, you know, sounds throughout the night. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, I sleep like a brick, so uh, didn't You really do, though. I wish I had this talent. Yeah. uh, What can I say? You know, um, once once Robbie's slumbering, uh, it takes. I mean, that sounded like a little overly familiar. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. But, but I, yes it's just you've spent that you've you've spent the night at my house but i also remember like you you like went to lay down for a second and, for, and you like full were fully asleep with a nap mm-hmm. with the door guest room door open while dave and i were like having a full volume conversation like you were yeah. un unbothered mm-hmm. uh you were out well yeah let, yeah <laughs> let me tell you like uh at that same blm crew quarters mm. location there was a f- like a full-on party happening right like people wow. drinking beer and whatnot and i just lay down on a couch and was like hmm mm, stretch out and sleep amazing yeah and then like when i woke up one of them was like Jesus Christ, we are loud as fucking in the kitchen. How 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 were you able to sleep? I was like, I don't know. I I like to sleep. I guess. And that sounds. I I wish I. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, uh, uh, I I can honestly say, of all the things I was expecting you to bring up, uh, you know, ducks. Sl- 
Duck egg in the nope. hot tub was not not, not even the top ten thousand. And uh, this peacock thing yeah. is also kind of. Uh, I'm sh- I, you you surely mentioned it, but I must have just been like uh, in my head, like oh, Crystal and her L.A. stories or whatever. Um, yeah, I'm so yeah. I don't think it was that time of year. Well, his name is Percy. The peacock's name is Percy. I'm surprised you didn't have an encounter with him or hear him while you're here. But you were here in March, I, and he usually doesn't start coming around until like late spring, summer. Yeah, time, I was so. gonna say most of the times I've been down in LA now, I've been in winter. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah, I may may have to swing just, by summer at some point. Yeah, it's just really, um, really something. Yeah, mm. this peacock. Mm. Uh, hey, you know what else is really something? This two-hour-long episode, season seven, episode six, yeah? That is correct. I know it was episode six because my YouTube kept trying to play episode seven because it's, for episode six, <laughs> it would say, this warning, trigger warning, this contains references to suicide and then i'd be like oh okay well i'm okay with uh listening to this and i would just try to click on anything on my internet browser and episode seven would start playing and it's like no well hold on hold on hold on well we're we're actually gonna break because this is a extra large episode of unsolved mysteries we're gonna break it up into two episodes reenacted Mm mm-hmm so we're just going to cover the first part, and then in two weeks we'll come back and talk about the second part. Um, you know, I wonder, though... No, we'll talk about it in the second part. I'll just remember to talk about it. Yes. I don't want to jump. I don't want to jump too far ahead. Okay. Here, so, But the first segment, pretty creepy. Yes. Pretty creepy. Yes. Because uh, it, it starts out with... Uh, Robert Stack, he actually gives a a little behind-the-scenes bit where he's discussing that this... He says something like, It's rather rare for Unsolved Mysteries itself to become part of the mystery. And when he says said Mm -hmm. that, in my head, I was like, "Mm, Well, I guess if you don't count all the times that Unsolved Mysteries has brought in so-called researchers and... (laughs) And experts right. to to interact with guests and to hypnotize them or pitch a book or or you know anything else. Um, sure, uh, but in this case, I think they they're looking at it from the perspective of the mystery intruding upon unsolved mysteries operations because in his hand, mm-hmm. Robert Stack is holding a damning letter. Um. They they have received a letter from the Circle Circle Circleville writer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Who's um who who has has written them a letter that basically is trying to warn them off from coming to Circleville and I guess you know doing a segment on on what's going on and the letter is it's written in a kind of squarish font that is the uh, preferred. Uh, font of the Circleville writer, and it's like it basically says, "Don't come to Circleville. There's nothing here for you. Leave Sheriff under under Hill alone. Do not come." 
Yeah, really specific about the sheriff, though. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, hmm. There might be a reason for that, yeah. Yeah. but we'll discuss that later. We, well, we don't. We don't actually know. But yeah. I have thoughts. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, so uh, Robert Stack then segues into talking about how um, you know Circleville, Ohio, seemed like your conventional everyday small town. And there's like a about a beat, and he says rather ominously, "Then the letters began." And uh, yeah, so Mary, what was her last name? Queen of Scots. Karina Scots. Who's this? I said Queen of Scots. <laughs> oh, no, oh, Queen! It's Gillespie. Gillespie. No, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. M- bus driver Mary Gillespie. Bus driver Mary. Yeah. School bus yeah. driver. School bus driver. Very. School important. bus driver Mary Gillespie is the first of. I mean, I guess if you kind of just passively watch the segment, you get the impression that the entire town starts receiving letters eventually, but. Um, yeah. Uh, she starts receiving uh, the letters in the 70s, and they uh, they basically accuse her of having an affair with the superintendent of schools, and mm-hmm. they tell her to knock it off and come, come clean to the public. Uh, she does what I probably would do in the same situation and ignore them and hope they go away. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they don't because her husband starts receiving them and he, he comes to her and he's like, hey, what are these l- weirdo letters that are, that we're getting? And she explains the situation. Um, but the letters, they just they just keep on a coming right to the, the point where they have to have a little meeting in their kitchen to, to figure out what to do. So, yeah. And they invite um who gets invited to this meeting? Um, they have a real. Uh, I almost said powwow, but that's not. Uh, no, 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 no. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing I didn't say. It. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, the uh, there's a yeah. There's uh, basically everyone's sis ha- has a sister at this meeting, and I yeah. Everyone has a sister. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of um, her, uh, like, if you're in a, if you're getting weird letters, call your sis. Right. It's basically right. The deal. And included is <clears throat> is a sister's husband. You know, I didn't open. I didn't. I don't have my notes in front of me for this recording. I thought I. Oh, okay. I, thought I would have his name in my head. Uh, is it is it Paul Freshour? Paul Freshour. Freshour. Yeah. That. Yeah, it's, it's it's very. It's like fresh hour, shower, oh, fresh shower. Okay, fresh, fresh shower. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. That 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 works much. I was like fresh hour. How is an hour fresh? I don't know. Yeah, Paul Fresh Hour. They they are all, um, they're all collaborating together, like trying to figure this thing out. Like, what's going on? Who is this? How can we make it stop? They have a a sort of short list of people they think it might be. So uh, they they conclude that the (laughs) natural solution to this is for all of them to start writing anonymous letters themselves. 
and then mm-hmm. <laughs> send them to all the suspects. Uh, and mm. thus the chain <laughs> continues. Um, those those who ignored this letter writing uh, suffered unfortunate consequences that, that befell them. Uh, no, uh, they 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 start sending out the uh, the letters to their their suspect suspects, and sure enough, for a few weeks, it does stop. Uh, mm-hmm. But then uh, the harassment resumes. And it resumes to the point where Mary's husband, um, he actually, uh, he receives a threatening phone call from the letter writer, mm-hmm. which I believe is the mm-hmm. only time in this uh, this sort of story that we hear of the letter writer uh, using a non-post service related means of uh, communicating, mm-hmm. well, no, I, not, not, I guess uh, if, you, if you count road signage, uh, yeah. Sorry. I guess I guess my statement wasn't accurate at all. But Paul does. Um, why am I mentioning Paul? Is that a Freudian slip? Uh, <laughs> Mary's <know>. husband uh, <laughs> apparently becomes enraged by this phone call and grabs his gun yeah. and ammo and <laughs> goes yeah. goes into gets into his uh, truck and drives off. I guess because he believed that he recognized the voice uh, as one of their suspects. And so mm-hmm. um, he drives off to confront him. I Unfortunately, he's in an automobile accident, uh, is killed. I don't know. Like, I keep thinking about this. And mm-hmm. if he hadn't died in the auto accident or... Unsolved mysteries, sort of suggest, tended to, uh, ta- sort of quietly suggests, you know, not really, you know, it sort of implies that maybe it was like an ambush because he had to manage to get one. They they discovered he had fired a round, one round from his co- uh, gun, so yeah. perhaps he uh, the <laughs> the letter writer was waiting for him on the road. Uh, so instead of an accident, this was uh, uh, some sort of vehicle-related homicide, um, perhaps. Uh, but I, the thing is, is if if that wasn't the case, then it then it if that and if that hadn't happened, it meant we were going to get a situation where Mary Susman was going to show up at someone's house with a gun. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like things probably were. We're going to take some sort of tragic turn one way or the other, um, uh, regardless of what happened precisely. Anyway, so, um, you know, and they kind of imply that the authorities were quick to be like, well, this is an accident for sure. Right. Yeah. It's just the other thing is the medical examiner, whoever did the autopsy on um, Ron, said that his blood alcohol content was like twice the legal limit. And he was, like, not known to be a drinker. Right. Not known to be. And doesn't mean he wasn't, like, secretly keeping vodka under the kitchen sink or something. And, well, if my wife was sleeping with the superintendent, I, I would probably be drowning my sorrows with alcohol, too. Oh, so by... The- <laughs> yeah, this is... this. Yeah, that's the strangest part of this, too, is, like, she vehemently denies it. Right. right? But then... 
later, her and the superintendent acknowledged the relationship, but said it only started after the letters yeah. had been sent. Yeah. Like it hadn't occurred to them to be sleeping together until some weirdo starts writing letters saying accusing them of having an affair. None of this makes any sense. Also, they're obviously lying. <laughs> right, so. right. And yeah, they, they admit to this after Ron's death. I guess it's one of those things where, you know, it's like, uh, you know, Mary, and not to doubt that she was devastated in her own mm-hmm. way about Ron's death, but, you know, sometimes you got to make use of that sort of stuff. And she probably was like, well, if there's ever a time for me to, like, m- come clean about the affair, it's now. Because right. people can't be upset at me because I just lost my husband. Uh that's mm-hmm. literally the sort of uh, self-serving <laughs> sociopathic behavior I would <laughs> I would use. <laughs> it's like it's like I, I you know if, if I if I'm in period of a, a extreme profound personal tragedy, it's like well, what can I at least get out in the open about this so no one can uh, be upset about <laughs> towards me. <laughs> um. Anyway, so Mary, you know, she's uh, she's resuming her bus driving. Uh, there, this is where the Circleville writer upgrades from letters to road signs, um, mm-hmm. and and it's not the. F- what was the road sign? Was it like, "Hey, Mary, pull over here"? I don't remember. I think I think it was you know it was the stan- like standard like accusatory of her engaging in extramarital affair and come oh, just more more of the same yeah huh? i believe so um okay that uh, did, did, did one of the one of the signs mention her daughter or something that that may have been the one did she have mm-hmm. a daughter i feel like that was the, the, like the one that finally caused her to snap kind of like mentioned so, someone in addition to her um mm-hmm. i think it would be what were what were the type what were those type of signs that people would drive by? The message would progressively unfold. Uh, Burma shave is that the name of the? Yeah, it was Bur- it was Burma yeah. shave. Yeah, I, I, I think it would be fun if the Circleville writer was doing these signs in Burma shave format. <laughs> mm. Like, like each each sign is like one line of a poem, right? Hey, guess what, Circleville. Who's sleeping with the superintendent? I'll give you a clue. It's Mary the bus driver. Or I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure the Circleville writer came up with better, uh, more provocative stuff than that. But yeah, so Mary finally, at one point, she she brings the school bus to a screeching halt. If we're to believe that the reenactment is accurate, this must have been after she dropped off the students because I don't see anyone else on the bus. But that could just be unsolved mysteries, not wanting to need- needlessly add logistics onto the reenactment. Mm-hmm. And she goes storming over to the-, the sign and starts pulling it off the post and is kind of perplexed because there's a rope attached to the sign that goes off into the bushes. So she mm. she walks over and follows the rope to a box that's also attached to the to the post, uh, and the you know the rope goes into a hole into the box, and so she takes that off the post and carries the whole mess over to into her bus, 
She rips open the box. What do you know? That rope is attached to a pistol uh, in yeah. such a way that clearly it was meant to uh, fire uh, after she pulled the sign down. But um, mm-hmm. Unsolved Mysteries, I feel like they kind of at the way Robert Stack says, you know, or whoever said that the bo- uh, the booby trap was uh, was amateurish. I, I feel like I feel mm-hmm. like there's a little bit of condescension. condescending tone to that you know sort of a oh well yeah i mean obviously the gun didn't fire (laughs) well i guess that's a point yeah yeah it didn't work um so yeah then this is where i feel like unsolved mysteries left something out or didn't fully i because apparently somehow paul freshour Fresh shower. Fresh shower. Uh, he becomes a suspect, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, the wiki illuminates why. But Unsolved Mysteries kind of doesn't. So, like, very naively, um, Paul... Like, the ne- very next thing is that Paul has... <sighs> Paul has uh, the sheriff in his garage... Or a deputy. I'm not sure if it's if it's actually um, the sheriff himself. But anyway, and Paul is like very naively showing he had had his pistol stolen, and uh, he's he's showing the deputy where he he would have kept it, but it is no longer there. So the connection that Unsolved Mysteries did not make was that the gun that was found in the booby trap someone had tried to very crudely remove the serial numbers off of it, but those serial numbers belonged to the gun that was registered to Paul whose gun was now missing. So someone Paul is saying that it was stolen out of his garage and that's why he's showing the deputy. He's like, look, I don't know what happened. Someone took this from me. This is where I would have kept it. Um, and I and then, missed all this somehow. Then, <laughs> so I was just like, okay, they got no, but they didn't. The serial number thing, I don't think they even no, mentioned. No. It's just all of a sudden, boom, Paul's the suspect. And it's like, well, why? Um, and then, so then he gets arrested yeah. or something. Or he gets brought yeah, in. The, he doesn't get arrested yeah, yeah, yet. He gets brought right. in to do the handwriting yeah, From stuff. my perspective, they just randomly bring him in. I mean, my by right. my perspective, yeah. watching the episode, randomly bring him in and like, okay, we're doing a handwriting test because we want to, you know. Yeah. And it's weird because it's not, I mean, you would assume that how that would work is that they would just, well, I, ideally they wouldn't even want like a suspect writing something out and the knowledge that it's a handwriting test. Instead, they would, you, you would just want mm-hmm. like some sample of their handwriting to compare. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but like to me, it, what I perceived was that they show him the one of the Circovo letters and more or less ask him to replicate how they're written. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And as you said, Paul seems kind of like a naive guy. So maybe he, he set about mm-hmm. to try to replicate them as well as he could. And subsequently, his <laughs> this yeah. gets used as evidence against him in a trial. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, they like charge him for attempted murder of his uh, sister-in-law. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there's a there's a 
handwriting expert that comes on. So I think part of this that we skipped to is that this was listed as a final appeal. Right. Segment. Right. Um, so this handwriting expert comes on and basically says this, or it's not a journal. It's not a handwriting expert. I'm sorry. It's a journalist that's now on the case. And his name is wait for it. His name is Martin Yan. And he's saying like, look, this is not how you do a handwriting analysis. You don't ask someone to copy the original document because obviously they're going to try and do it as closely as they can because that's just what you've asked them to do mm-hmm. um the police also had uh, a test where they just read the words and they had paul write them down but paul at this point has already seen the original letters yeah so there's some sort of at least subconscious thing going on in his mind you right know? right instead of just having like typed out words saying hey can you write this you know copy this for us yeah they've already kind of like introduced some bias into their analysis it's just not really valid so paul gets convicted of attempted murder (laughs) by a jury um he does not go on the stand to defend himself for whatever reason yeah you know because like if he had seen the movie presumed innocent starring harrison ford uh because the there's a scene where Harrison Ford's talking with his attorney, portrayed by Raul Julia, uh, mm-hmm. and they're discussing whether or not for him to take the stand. And J- Raul Julia is like concerned that, like, well, you know, if you like explode or whatever, that. And Harrison Ford was like, "Yeah, but as a when I when I worked as a prosecutor, I knew I I had them anytime they they didn't." take the the defendant didn't take the stand i knew i had you know i had the case wrapped up so uh and paul yeah the, the narration says paul uh would feel like he was gonna regret this decision not to take the stand because sure enough he got found guilty <laughs> yeah um and then paul is like weirdly s- sanguine about the whole thing i guess he got out of prison at some point yeah because we're not talking to him in prison. We're talking to him in a studio somewhere, but, uh, he's like, yeah, well, just, I don't, I understand the jury just like didn't hear all the evidence. And I <laughs> he's get a it. very understanding person. <laughs> I, yeah. That's only, you know, a decade of your life gone, right. but whatever. I, I, no, I feel like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of what befell Paul was just cause he, he sort of maybe has a natural inclination of like, well, I don't want to cause a problem. So, and that kind of extended to him going to prison, you know, under all these circumstances. He just like all all the steps along the way, like when you know the when they're having him like replicate the handwriting of the suspect. He's like, well, this doesn't seem right, but I don't want to cause a problem. (laughs) And he basically, I I feel like he kind of I don't want to cause a problem himself into. Uh, getting sent to prison right um they put so they so basically there's like a really ominous narration from robert stack at this point and they're like okay well they thought they had the circleville writer in prison and that the letters would stop they were wrong because the letters keep coming and so because they keep coming they put paul fresh hour in solitary confinement <laughs> <laughs> in prison um and paul's like yo i didn't even have a pencil 
and they were checking all the mail that went out. How how would I even? And he starts receiving some of the letters himself. Right? Is he breaking out of prison to mail them to himself? Uh, And what what really like uh, amazed me was like this got this got the letters got all these letters being sent while he's locked up in prison. Uh, not only mm-hmm. was this like not just used as some sort of thing where everyone's like, "Oh, whoa, hey, well, hey, hold on, hold on a second, like this is still happening," and mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't Paul. And, and instead, we even get a thing where, like, at one of his parole hearings or whatever, uh, the parole committee like uses these letters being sent as a reason to keep him in prison. <laughs> Yeah, this whole thing is just. Anyway, Paul gets out though. He does. The mystery remains. Who wrote the letters? Because it probably pretty clearly was not Paul. Yeah. Um, Paul has moved on with his life at this point. He's gotten remarried, so on and so forth. Um, he still would like to know too what exactly happened with his ex brother in law. Um and his death because there's a lot of talk about the sheriff mm-hmm. some kind of cover-up happening there and then to get for unsolved mysteries to get this postcard saying don't bother the sheriff i mean i don't it really makes me think that the sheriff was in everyone's business yeah and maybe maybe he was the writer of the letters you know and paul freshour was just a convenient patsy yeah yeah i mean (laughs) if if it was the sheriff can you imagine like the amount amount of luck he must have felt he was in when he like had paul fresh hour in in his office or you know in this building and Mm -hmm. paul was like well i don't want to cause a problem so yeah he just starts like replicating the letter in front of you (laughs) you're like yeah exactly well and see the other thing is like the sheriff like sending the deputy down to interview paul about where he would have kept his gun where he knows damn well probably paul's family members knew where that gun was kept too yeah which kind of leads to some theories about Mm. what really happened here so um if you don't mind i'm gonna write i'm gonna read rather i'm not gonna write i'm gonna read the sort of theories on the wiki oh there's more than one yeah there's a couple of theories about who the circleville writer here is so um this is it definitely wasn't paul fresher um okay so uh, recent information uncovered by martin yant who's the journalist uh, that was interviewed for the segment and others have suggested there was at least there were at least three letter writers involved in the case, none of whom were Paul. One was believed to be the son of the superintendent, whom Mary had an affair with. Mary had an affair with the superintendent, not the son of the superintendent, to be very clear. Um, the second was believed to be a co-worker who was infatuated with Mary. The third was believed to be Paul's ex-wife, a.k.a. Ron Gillespie's sister. Um it is believed that the ex-wife's boyfriend was the man seen next to El Camino on the day that the booby, booby trap was discovered. So some eyewitnesses saw a man next to an El Camino setting up the booby trap. Uh, one of her, so the ex-wife, one of her relatives had owned that type of car at the time. Despite the evidence, police still maintain that Paul was the circle <laughs> Like, 
Come the fuck on. Okay. Uh, this case was eventually parried, parodied in the series Drunk History along with D.B. Cooper and, and Agatha Christie. Hmm, that might come back later. Mm. Uh, however, the comedians of the case speculated that Mary Gillespie may have been behind the letters, getting the stories about her neighbors from the kids on her bus route and stealing Paul's gun to use in an attempt on her life to throw off investigators. As yet, there's been no known follow-up on this theory. And then in August 2021, a 48-hours episode aired that featured an interview with Beverly East, a renowned handwriting and forensic documentation expert. Interestingly, she concluded definitively that the police were correct all along and that Fresh Hour was, in fact, the perpetrator. She pointed to key characteristics in the Circleville writer's handwriting that matched Fresh Hours to prove her point. Again, though, logistically, there's no way he could have sent those while he was in prison. Yeah. That just doesn't make any sense. Um, however, how Fresh Air would have been able to write some of the letters from prison remains unknown. If he had an accomplice helping him mail the letters while he was incarcerated, has yet to be answered. I think it's, I mean, I think it's pretty clearly known. Yes, yes. So um, let's just throw that theory out the window. I think probably the sheriff either had a hand in writing the letters himself or was very integral in sort of this whole scheme to set up Paul mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, plant the gun. But I don't know what the incentive is for the sheriff, other than he's he, he's very specifically called out in this postcard unsolved. Right, that, that's the thing. I was like, I, I mean, I, I kept wondering about uh, waiting for like a shoe to drop. Like, was 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 right. was, was he married to the s- superintendent? But then I was like, well, wait, uh, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it's. Uh, he like because like why 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 was the sheriff so enraged uh about the superintendent and the bus drivers unless he had some sort of personal connection or who knows um but yeah yeah so that was uh that was that was a fun mystery a lot, a lot of letters getting written and sent and man that post office in circleville must have been just like busy <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, interesting that, uh, Drunk History kind of paired this with the, uh, Agatha Christie disappearance. Which is, coincidentally, the very next, the very next segment. Very next segment. Ag- and Agatha Christie, you know, you had asked me if I had any sort mm-hmm. of, um, uh, uh, background with, like, uh, reading Agatha Christie or just being familiar with her works. And I mm-hmm. had to reply, not really. I I, I yeah. know of her, um, but the, the most exposure I got to her, it was really weird. There was a period of time in high school where all my friends were into reading Agatha Christie mysteries. I don't know mm. what brought that about. I don't know. Maybe it was like, like, a goth thing. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's the. Th- Remember when people were getting really into like Victorian stuff all over again? I don't know. Was that a thing? Yeah, sense? yeah. I I feel like uh, there there's a certain amount of uh, Victorian stuff that that bleeds into goth. I guess Agatha Christie isn't even Victorian era. She's Edwardian like, and onwards. Yeah. Yeah, she's a bit later. Yeah. I think that might have just been your friends, though. I don't recall anyone yeah yeah i know that's that's the thing it was just it, having their agatha christie era yeah but. i i was the only one who wasn't participating in this so i just felt like odd man out but it's okay it's okay yeah. so um this so this is a rather long segment yeah 
because the first half of Unsolved Mysteries, this episode is basically just spent on the Circleville writer and Agatha Christie. So hence we're kind of taking our time. Yes. With this, anyway, they basically do a full biography of Agatha Christie and they'd be like, she was born to the upper crust, whatever. Uh, dad was an American guy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, obviously she wasn't born Agatha Christie. Her main name was Miller. Um, she gets older. She falls for this guy, Archie Christie, Archibald mm -hmm. Christie, who was just kind of like hot and dumb and uh, like a real himbo. And so they get married and he immediately leaves for World War One. Mm -hmm. And she's a young woman. She has, you know, she's doing the nursing in England during World War One, and then she's also writing novels. And her first novel um, was published in 1920. It was called The Mysterious Affair at Styles, and uh, she kept putting books out, and she just got more and more popular. And so, kind of by the time that Archie comes back, she'd had a couple of novels under her belt that had done really well, and um, then Archie becomes like a really stodgy stockbroker. Yeah. Total stock. And uh, yeah, he continues to be hot and dumb and Agatha's getting sort of, you know, there's a lot of like older women interviewed for this <laughs> segment, shall there we are. say. And they're very excited to talk about Agatha Christie. And I, I, you know, I guess they're of that generation, right? She was an enormously popular female writer um, in the, uh, you know, 1930s and mm -hmm. 40s. Anyway, uh, you know, she wrote Murder on the Orient Express, although that was much later. Uh, so she, Agatha and Archie, you know, their their marriage is kind of not as happy as we would like to believe. And um, Agatha's mom dies. And because this is the middle of the century and you don't just like go somewhere for a weekend you go somewhere for like a couple of months mm -hmm. she goes to her mom's uh estate and with her daughter who now exists i don't know at what point the daughter came into play <laughs> now there's a daughter and archie comes up from their so their residence that they they build is called styles after her first novel and um you know they're both kind of fabulously wealthy at this point. And Archie comes up from Styles to Agatha's mom's place for for uh, the daughter's birthday. And he asks for a divorce. Now, apparently he's taken up with some hoe named Nancy. And he wants to go be with her. Yeah. So Agatha, you know, is trying to make it work and whatever else. But at some point in December of 1926... Archie takes off for a weekend house party. And Agatha knows he's like going to be, he's going out with that hoe Nancy. Like she oh, knows it. Yeah. Where else is he going? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here's what she does. She packs a bag. She leaves a couple of notes. And one of the notes is to her secretary saying, okay, I'm going to need you to cancel all of my weekend appointments. And the second note is to Archie. And we don't know what that says. We never will. Um, and she takes off in her car. She goes off. And next morning, the car is found perched above a chalk quarry, I assume. Engine running, headlights on, steam coming out of the engine. I don't know. I'm just sort of 
adding unsolved mysteries didn't do any of this but in my mind it's just very dramatic um and the only thing left in the car is an expired driver's license presumably agatha's and some clothes so here's the mystery what happened to agatha she has disappeared now immediately the press jumps on this and they start casting dispersions on Archie saying he did away with her. She wouldn't grant him a divorce. He just wants to be with his mistress. I mean, basically they drag his name through the mud. And then there's like 20,000 people who have volunteered to search for Agatha, which is like in retrospect of what happens next, kind of annoying. (laughs) Um, And so A couple of days later, there starts to be Agatha sightings around England. Mm -hmm. So someone sees her standing in sort of a not seasonally appropriate dress next to a card. And she seemed like really confused. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, then two railroad porters see her. And they see her getting onto a train, although she seemed kind of confused then. And then 11 days after she disappears, a musician contacts authorities saying that Agatha is at this health spa. And so the lead investigator on the case uh, goes with Archie to wait at the spa. And they're like, okay, we'll see if she comes there in or out. We'll just wait here. Can can we just take a moment to dwell on how this lead uh, investigative person, the person who he's portrayed as having sort of the look and bearing of uh, a detective from an Agatha Christie novel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I think that was intentional. Oh, totally. That like, the producer- Unsolved Mysteries is like trying to keep the vibe <laughs> yeah. of the segment. You know, their whole, their whole opening line was she wrote mysteries yet she became a mystery. <laughs> so. uh, okay. So she's, She's definitely at the spa. Archie and the investigator clock her coming down through the lobby. And when they confront her, Ar- uh, Agatha an- acknowledges Archie not as her husband, as her but as her brother. Y- and yes. anyway, so she goes back home with Archie. And no one ever speaks of this again. This disappearance. The doctors say that she was suffering from amnesia, apparently from the stress of being asked for a divorce. I do don't buy this for a second. But Crystal, she has a woman's constitution. I (laughs) just no, not buying it. One of the theories, though, that the women interviewed for this segment floats is that she was like fine y'all gonna do what you're gonna do but you're not gonna make a fool out of me and she knew that she was famous she knew if she just disappeared for a while made it look a little suspicious because she writes mystery novels hello (laughs) come on (laughs) come on she knows what she's doing and then she's just gonna go check into the health spa and read some papers and watch her soon-to-be ex-husband get dragged for filth and then just kind of reappear when it's time. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, this is incredibly petty. I love it. I love this for her. Uh, she totally think- gone girled her husband. <laughs> she absolutely did. Yeah. I don't believe she had amnesia. I'm not. Oh no, 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 no. 
it's all too perfect, don't you think? Mm. Don't you think she knew exactly what she was doing? Yeah, you know, when you lay it out like that, I think it it does seem <clears throat> pretty <clears throat> clear uh, that she was deliberately doing all this. I guess the you know the the random encounters of her seeming disoriented. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that was deliberate disorientation mm-hmm. like like when they're when, yeah. the, when they catch her walk going into or coming out of the spa she refers to her husband by her, her brother's name i mean that was her like oh i gotta act uh like i'm yeah, totally out of it uh oh hey brother <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. yeah i'm also kind of like why 70 years after the fact is unsolved mysteries like investigating agatha christie's 11 day vacation what because obviously she was fine and really investigating is kind of like a generous term this 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 is just one of this is like a little yeah you know history channel segment that's just been right they've just done like well we can't really solve this is easier to do than actually trying to solve a mystery so Let's just. I think it's a really interesting and spicy story. It is. I I I I definitely enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed the costumes and and everything. Um, I mean, but as as you mentioned in previous times, where we have like segments that are more like something from Dateline or or whatever. Right. I mean, this is this is a little bit different because it's like talking about a historical thing, but it's it's like, what's the called? What's the call to action? Yeah, and also, like, she lived to some ripe old age. She died in 1975. Yeah, it's not like, like, it would be one thing if Agatha Christie had just, like, literally disappeared and no one saw her again. And, like, what happened to her? And it was like, all right. I mean, that's, but like you said, she she returned. She lived for many, many, many more decades. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both her and her uh, Archie, they ended up marrying the people they apparently wanted to marry. So all ends well. The, the, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, yeah it was fine. Yeah. Everyone was fine. The last bit of what we're going to cover today is uh sort of a re- it's an unsolved mysteries retrospective at the call center yes the actual call center um and it is sort of self-congratulatory in that in this episode they have their 200th solve mm-hmm. so um they have robert stack in the call center and that did you notice like how purple that wall is? that was a it's very like a purple really wall and almost fuchsia it's like what what kind of unpleasant what 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 really kind of and what really dis- i find so distracting about it is i cuz i've long expressed the opinion that this call center was just a set uh you know surely they don't actually have people in a room like this uh but we get uh, some actual footage of the call center of people working working there and not like i mean when whenever they show robert sack in it it's clearly they they've mm-hmm. they brought a bunch of extras in to act like call center people um uh, like like they're shooting after call center hours or whatever mm-hmm. um and as <laughs> as as you as you mentioned uh 
if if they did if, if Robert Stack was ever in there with the actual call center people present, they were almost yeah. surely instructed not to engage in conversation or look at yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, no eye contact. Yeah, no eye no eye contact. Um but no, this this is the actual room where they have unsolved the unsolved mysteries logo painted on the wall and it is like with a a, a very purple purplish wall and they should like we see it from the in the the actual behind the scenes footage of people working the call center it's like what what the okay, that would be incredibly yeah. distracting to have so the 200 solve was actually something that it was an update to a case that we discussed some time back mm-hmm. um, with uh, it was two Vietnam vets and one of them was Asian American and he had experienced some discrimination while in the army serving in Vietnam. He was, he was not Vietnamese, but um, in fact of Japanese descent and he had a buddy who was kind of looking out for him. Like soldiers were like stealing this guy's wages and stuff. It was like, not cool. It's a fucked up situation. And, yeah. And he was reunited with someone, um, uh, another vet who had kind of come through for him, become his buddy during Vietnam, and and they had saved each other's lives or whatever. And so, yeah, it's the one where the guy from Chicago gets to go to Hawaii with his entire family. <laughs> it's that one? Yeah. And I got to thinking about, so Unsolved Mysteries has had 200 solves at this point, and this is episode 131 for us. Mm-hmm. And given that each episode of Unsolved Mysteries averages three to four segments per episode. Yeah. And we have a policy if we don't do repeats. So if if a segment gets re-aired later, we don't discuss it again. So that means, let's say, three segments per regular episode of Unsolved Mysteries. And we've discussed, well, it'll be 131 now. But let's say 130 prior to this episode means we have discussed... 390 segments or cases unique and and that's where you buried your your head in your hands in despair (laughs) over a period of almost six years now 390 segments robbie what do you think about that i think those are rookie numbers i think we can push (laughs) push those numbers up I I think it's I think it's like um, five hundred or bust, right? We got to keep yeah. going. Yeah, totally. We're gonna. Yeah, th- this train ain't stopping, folks. We're <laughs> we're gonna keep oh recording God. these episodes. Yeah, I mean, despite everything working against us, we will keep recording yeah. these episodes. <laughs> um, yeah, so that you know, we're almost at our um, six year mark. Um, we have been doing this. Uh, without uh, corporate sponsorship um, under our own steam, both while working full-time jobs and having uh, full outside lives inside of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that we couldn't have gotten this far if uh, we didn't have the support of our Patreons. That is, it is significant to be able to have um, that, that private support like NPR <laughs> of our <laughs> subscribers. And and that goes to all kinds of things, which is, you know, whether it was our hosting fees or paying our producer Connor or getting new equipment, um, every little bit helps. So, and that, you know, 
we've been doing this podcast. You think about all those celebrities that have now come on with their podcast or whatever. It's a big wave of Spotify signing these big contracts with people. And, um, you know, keep in mind that we have been doing that longer than those people have. Yes. We haven't been doing this as long as some, but we've been doing it longer than most. We were here before them. um, We'll be here after them. We'll be here after them. In spite of, in spite of it all, <laughs> we're still here. Um, and if you uh, like what you've been listening to and you've been thinking about it, now is a good time to get on patreon.com slash reenacted pod. We have a $1 tier, which is basically like tip your bartender. If you like the drink, here's a, here's a buck for you. Um, and at the $5 tier, that's where you unlock exclusive, con- exclusive content, which um, we've not been super great about putting out. Again, mentioned once again, uh, full-time jobs, life outside of the podcast, <laughs> self-funded. Uh, but we are going to try our best to put some more stuff up there as we can. And uh, from time to time, Robbie does send out things to people on the $5 tier. Um, so if you're comfortable at that level, that's super, super helpful. So it's patreon.com slash reenacted pod. This is usually the part that Robbie does. Um, also, if you can't contribute any money, I totally understand. Times are tight. Inflation's a bitch. Thanks, Joe Biden. You can go onto iTunes. Um, if you feel like we're leaving a review, you can say whatever you want in the words part. I don't care. That's fine. You can be like, oh, you guys are smelly and dumb. Um, but, uh, please leave us five stars if you're going to do, go through all that effort to log on to iTunes and do that. Um, and then maybe like grab, Hey, it's father's day today. Maybe grab your dad's phone and subscribe to our podcast on his phone. Yeah. He doesn't have to listen to it. Just, you know, to grab your dad's phone, subscribe, you leave us five Subs- stars. <laughs> You could do that while you're at it. If your dad doesn't even know how to, you know, put ratings, you won't notice. So, um, I also want to mention about the self-funded thing. We've actually had a few interested parties try to get us to do uh, native advertising for their products. Yeah, and um. We, because we are principled people, said, you know what, that's not a good fit for our audience. We don't believe in that product, so we're not going to take your money, and we're not going to advertise your product. All that said, Del Taco, hit us up. It's at gmail.com. Yeah, you know, <laughs> get in touch. and I, I want to also mention this to Del Taco. I went through one of your city, Carson City locations recently, and mm-hmm. um, the gal at the window was very nice, but... And, you mm. know, this isn't even entirely her fault because I forgot to, mm. I got my food, but I was not given my, my drink. And so, <laughs> mm. but, but it's okay. I was on my way to work anyway. And I, there was, there was plenty mm-hmm. to drink there. So it's not like I was stuck somewhere yeah. without uh, any beverage refreshment, yeah. but, um, and all I can say about that experience was at least it was better than like the, your other location in Carson, where I went through and uh, I, I like when I'm trying to make my order, the, the, mm-hmm. the young person is like trying to joke with me across, through the, through the, the audio thing. I'm like, no, 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 please mm. just don't want. And they, they, they didn't give me my full order either. So 
What the heck? What's going on? You know, you get get. I've I've had nothing but ex- I only go to one Del Taco in my area, and that's Laurel Canyon in North Hollywood. I've received nothing but exemplary service my entire order and fresh food, five stars. Yeah. So Del Taco, but Del Taco, get with us. Make this right. Yeah. Make this right with Robbie. <laughs> By, by um, sponsoring our program, <laughs> we will. We will. We have been advertising for Del Taco on this program for free for such a long time mm-hmm. that I think you know. Given the issues Robbie just described, it's time to reciprocate the relationship. Yes, a little bit, Del Taco. Yes. Uh, Robbie, do you want to do the thing? Join us in two weeks, or from our perspective. A few minutes for another edition of Unsolved Mysteries.